0: This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number uh, 81, I believe. Is that right? Yep, 81. Uh, And with me uh, in uh, Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey.
1: Hi, John. Hi, everyone.
0: Uh, I'm good. Uh, In Long Island, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, John. Uh, In... An undisclosed location in the on the <laughs> Indian subcontinent is Varun Mothar. Hi, Varun.
1: Hello,
2: hello.
0: And uh, in the north of Sweden, I believe, uh, yeah. is is uh, Johan Edberg. Hi, Johan.
1: Hey, everybody. We think it's him.
0: Which, yeah, unless <laughs> unless it's um, an AI version of uh, Johan, because we're all very suspicious. <laughs> uh, I wanted to thank the people that commented um on the last podcast the sort of shout out from all these different corners of mm. the world that was really fun and i hope more people do that um had vancouver and chile and uh, brazil mm. and uh greece and it was great
1: uh, it, it's
0: it's nice to hear from people uh it, and and just sort of it's the nice part of the internet i guess anyway um There are a number of things we'll talk about. We're doing this, um, we're trying to do these more frequently. So this is a week after the last one. And uh, uh, a number of topics, but but I'm gonna turn it over to Corey firstly and, and let her start and we'll kind of converse off of um okay yeah okay
1: thanks john i wanted to thank everyone as well because i know we usually a lot of the times feel like hell and that really lifted our spirits it was um made me so happy to read those comments so today i was um i was invited to be a guest by it's called the real left it used to be called the left skeptics and so in uk So I got up really, really in the middle of the night, sort of, not as early as Faroon, but I worked on a PowerPoint presentation for the past couple of days and tried my best to present um, the most critical um, parts of that presentation. So I thought I could go through some of it today and maybe um, we'll, you know, do whatever we want. And then maybe if we don't get through it all, we can go through the rest the next time. And maybe maybe I'll start with a couple of slides and you guys can follow along because I put them in the drop box and then um, you can just interject after each slide. Whoever wants to say anything. How's that? Does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. OK, yeah. OK, so I started. Here's my first slide this morning. OK, first things first, an environmental movement not built on a foundation of anti imperialism, anti militarism and anti capitalism is meaningless. It is worthless. And um, the green economy can only flourish on the foundation of imperialism, electronic devices are made from rare metals and rare earth elements which can only be extracted and refined using vast amounts of energy more often than not, these are water intensive processes in the process. A resource that is those most vulnerable and impoverished who mine the required metals in countries get deliberately and permanently destabilized by foreign corporate interests and colonial states. Such destabilization of foreign interference will persist until the targeted state becomes depleted of the resource. In addition, land, wa- fo- land forest, and water become barren, toxic wastelands, poisoning all life in the bias for itself. The great reset of the global economy is the rebooting of imperialism and the recolonization of the global south. And I think maybe Vroom would like to speak to that a little bit more. Um, that's my first slide. And of course, I, of course, I didn't even read that whole thing this morning because I didn't have time. But um, you do have time
0: here. You can yeah, slow now, me now, down.
1: Now I have time. We're not going to kick you off stage. Yeah, yeah but Brum, <clears throat> maybe do you want to comment on how vital the Southern Hemisphere is to the Northern Hemisphere for this whole, um, you know, this whole plan for the right reset?
2: Well, I think yeah, we were discussing this before as well that the perspective of what is termed as the global South. Is used that as a place of resources, whether it's natural or human resource. That's where the education is built like that. The econ- economic policies, because of structural adjustment programs run by the IMF and the World Bank, they are set up like this, that you can harvest as much possible resource as with uh, as possible with as less money as possible. That's why you see everything that's being mined all over Africa. And how the I mean, there was a massive campaign in the late '90s and the 2000s about harvesting the human resource in India, you know, exporting brain power from India to so-and-so places, and that kind of transferred then slowly into um, vocational colleges being set up by deals that were brokered by Ernst and Young with the government of India, where labor was created in India labor was trained in India to go and work in the Middle East to build all these buildings and stadiums where people are going to play football and sport and whatever. So in that sense, I think the perspective of no matter what anybody says at these COP meetings or the Davos meetings, it's always going to be that the South is going to be looked at as as a kind of a factory where resource can be mined which can then serve a very specific kind of lifestyle that is also being sold to the South, (laughs) to the global South as an escape or a a kind of salvation, which is basically really, really at, I mean, if you go down to the basics is essentially American consumerism. There is not much else happening in India, especially, right? So there's a lot of pop culture, which is, exported from us corporations tv channels there's clothing music all of that stuff that we have already i think spoken about in a few podcasts but it's yeah. it's deliberately implanted into the culture so that there is an aspiration towards that kind of trend which kind of psychologically culturally justifies the movement of the mining essentially that's what it right. is I
0: yeah, I, I mean, we talked about this earlier, indeed, and and it's just the idea that that um, the the global South is treated differently than than um, the so-called advanced West, and and it's it's not much different than than the old colonial model. It no. really isn't. It's the core and the periphery, you know, that that uh, mm. uh, <clears throat> is. Is that this is all such a white Western project, but but I'll stop there. I mean we'll we'll talk about more of this as it goes on.
1: Corey, you want Yeah, and it's tricky too, right? Because here we all are on our laptops conversing with mm-hmm. each other and, and with those, you know, listening to us. Um, so the second slide is Jacques Ilol, Johan, am I saying that correctly? Johan <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure is that really you (laughs) okay um (laughs) thank you for introducing me to to his work they only had to ask the question what will it cost us what price um i think it's supposed to say do we have to pay typo um yeah I, i just put that in because i've just been noticing the pictures of the whales washed up on the beaches and um the whole the way we treat our animals is horrific and really bothers me and I think about that a lot so I to stick that in. Um, climate protests are organized by NGOs within the nonprofit industrial complex. They are financed by and subservient to billionaires and foundations. The same ones promoting or silent on NATO imperialist wars that destroy our biosphere that murder brothers and sisters. Well-intentioned youth are being used, exploited as a means to rescue and expand the global capitalist a capitalist economic system in deep decay, including the monetization, privatization of nature, um, global scale, those with money will own nature. Um, I'll just do one more, a global consolidation of power happening in real time um, via the World Economic Forum, the ruling elite in tandem with corporate power, advancing a new global architecture upheld by a new global governance, and that's their term, not mine. Um, In 2018, the World Bank partners with the UN. In 2019, the World Economic Forum partners with the UN. In March 2020, the World Economic Forum partners with the WHO via the COVID Action Platform, and on the same day, March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization, the WHO classified COVID-19 as a pandemic. The Great Reset is the great theft of treasuries global in scale. The public pays under emergency measures legislation. The corporations retain controls and profits, the full privatization and monetization of all life, social and cultural, quote unquote, capital to be bought and traded on Wall Street. Um, Surveillance society in which the citizenry is conditioned to accept, prefer, even demand digital over physical in most every realm. A global economy in which everything is to be sold as quote unquote, as a service with exception of ruling classes who will continue to accumulate luxury goods and property. And then I just Um, have a slide in here from 2018, a World Economic Forum in Dubai, introducing the new global architecture so yeah, this
0: is, <clears throat> no i think this is this is a, a very interesting point here there's a couple of things but but um uh well i will continue uh the first point is is to understand that these projects all of the the very wealthy NGOs, the billionaires behind them, King Charles and all of these other people. uh, Imagine one thing, or they market their ideas as one thing of a global economy, a kind of commodification of of everything, including humans and children and uh, whatever you can think of will become a commodity to be traded, shared, whatever. That's one thing. Then there is the sort of second reality, of which, or rather, there is the reality, not the marketing, in which, as Varun just pointed out, the global South is is treated differently and viewed differently, and the expectations are different. Uh, there there is no expectation of equality they aren't trying the, the, the people funding these projects the marketers and uh we'll talk about Callum Grieve and and Greta soon here uh they aren't they don't imagine equality but it's all under cover of certain assumptions that have been hammered on now for for 20 years, almost, but certainly for 10 years about climate change and global warming. I mean, the the, the nomenclature changes, and and that's something I think we need to touch on too, because uh, there is a there is a reflexive response, at least in the public, in the Western public, or or the Western bourgeoisie, that. That accepts at face value these mm. these marketing campaigns around the great reset. And there's never any critical questioning of the the sort of backdrop to all of it, which is the assumptions about climate change, about global warming, about what causes it, about who is responsible for it and so forth. And all you have to do is remember that all of these same people are enthusiastically supporting these NATO wars mm-hmm. and global militarism. And I've mentioned before and will again, you just have to look at the London Arms Fair or any of the other <clears throat> weapons fairs that occur around the world. And there must be 50 significant ones. Uh, where you have representatives from Israel and uh, France and Egypt and everywhere standing next to each other, chatting, looking at exhibits, talking to representatives from Raytheon or General Dynamics and buying their weapons. The cynicism <laughs> is, is astounding, I think. So, so those are points that I think need to be um, amplified a bit. Uh, Johan?
3: Yeah, and I think the reason why 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 people in general accept these these uh, marketing campaigns at face value is because they fit so neatly into the the basic mythological framework of, of our society. So I, I think people don't really reflect as much as as it's a sort of mythical reflexivity rather than than critical thinking. But but may, maybe you want to g- go ahead with the next slide, Corey. I have a, a sure. few points. But, but All right. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, this is sort of about the assumptions that John was referencing. And one of those is net zero. And people, most people, if you ask them what that means, they would just tell you that means zero emissions. And nothing is further than the truth than that. Net zero has nothing to do with reducing emissions. It's kept obscure via framing, the di- diversion and spectacle, the financialization privatization of nature, payments for ecosystem services, militarism as the lead cause of ecological crises, carbon capture, utility, and storage um, as the promise of fossil fuel expansion, expansion of a nuclear synthetic biology to redesign life nature food systems, biodiversity, carbon markets, and the mining of okay. regions for, for the metals and minerals required for the fourth industrial revolution infrastructure. The protests and via subsequent media coverage serve as needed diversion from the most egregious solutions, quote unquote, that will further enrich and power the ruling classes. Solutions that would never be accepted by the global citizenry if they were properly understood. So I guess that's why I try to make them understood.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Vroom. Yeah, I just wanted to add because this is very, I think it's very critical to understand this also in the sense that the market, like you were pointing out, is that, and what Johan added on to this mythological understanding of this, is that the idea that I mean there is a certain weight that is put on the West, uh, history as being historically imperialist, so there is a guilt that is automatically inbuilt in that idea, which is then which is then abated. They're using that to justify. The support that they have from the public for these kind of NGOs that are actually carrying on the exactly the same business just under a different name, and right. that's very critical thing. Yeah,
0: I th- I agree absolutely that this is, and in a sense, I think this is was one of the key points Corey made in in this presentation she gave today was that. the marketing is just that, it's marketing. And it it is presented as if these corporations, these NGOs, these millionaires, billionaires, influencers, and celebrities are are sincerely concerned with the plight of humanity and, and with environmental degradation and of course they're not this is about profit this is capitalism it is perhaps to be viewed as part of a a, tr- a sort of capitalist transition to another phase of capitalism although i'm i'm far from convinced it's any different at all from the last 300 years but Certainly there are factors that are different, but, but we're talking about the mining interests in Africa that displace hundreds of thousands of people from their land, Western security firms that are brought in to protect those mining interests uh, and have accounted for the murder of, of uh, the indigenous population this is this is the reality the marketing is Greta Thunberg and and you know smiley face uh green concerned people and it there is an interesting dynamic I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here with the Greta thing but it is interesting because I when I read social media Greta Uh, waxes indignant and, and outraged at one or another, you know, uh, crime or, or offense against uh, uh, nature, uh, a crime of furthering global warming, whatever it is. And and people be- take it, believe it at face value. I mean, if you read the comments, people accept her sincerity. Accept that. I mean, she gave a presentation at Davos, as, as Johan pointed out the other day, and and <clears throat> at Davos. But but sh- people believe she's fighting for the little people. Uh, it it is it is astounding the the lack of critical awareness in people. One would think at this point in time in the 21st century that people had learned how marketing and propaganda works, but apparently they have not. Johan?
3: Yeah, and I I mean she may very well have perfectly good intentions, but but that's entirely beside the point. So yeah, uh, I I think this is a bit uh, off off the field, but uh, I do have a point. So I've been thinking about Relationality as as a as a sort of existential foundation, and you know how, how this uh, this idea uh, I've been a bit inspired by by Japanese philosophy and and ice hockey too I think, and how this notion of a relationality as a basis is in contrast to this detached observer of the Western ontologies. So so in a way I think there's a reductionism already inherent to this very notion of a detached observer such that it, you know you beginning with an an undivided original wholeness, you first need to to, to kind of tear away this abstraction of objective and external surveillance upon which you you can then build this fiction of an independent self that stands apart from everything, this separate entity that's potentially in control and domination of, of objectified, every objectified and commodified focus of his intentionality, you know, everything Everything that can be subsumed under his awareness can be controlled as a detached object is subjected to commodification and objectification. Anyway, so so this, this abstraction of the detached self, I mean, it, it's obviously, it, it echoes throughout everything from quantitative capitalist commodification to, to Protestant theology and its individualistic interpretation of scripture. And I'm kind of beginning to realize the, the extent to which this, this mode of being in the world, this way of perceiving reality is, is at the root cause of, of so many of these distortions and, and imbalances in, in the world around us, because I think it's it's key to everything from, from transhumanism to the neo-colonial relationships that Corey just related to in, in, in the presentation. Uh, and I, I think you know even the notion and symbol of privatization I, I think the, this fiction of the detached self is particularly embodied in privatization, which is, you know, foundational to the entire economic order. So maybe, maybe that's a something to to take take hold of.
0: Um, yeah, Varun.
2: Yeah, I just want to add. I think it's very, very interesting points that you made, Johan, because I think it already. I mean, all of this is possible as you say, this kind of the disconnect from the self, and this creation of a new sort of identity, which can be commodified and controlled. It's we already had the symptoms of this when people were living two different lives, the personal life and the professional life. Mm-hmm. And the professional life was completely controlled by the establishment. Now what is occurring is that the personal life is going to be controlled by the establishment. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really interesting here to see that the disconnect, the, because they always, I mean, in the sense that the establishment always wants or itself as the unifying force of the planet, right? So mm-hmm. it it always wants to predicate itself as the ruler, and thereby it can. It is the only place where the unity can take place. So therefore, there is always this language of uniting, of oneness, and all of that stuff that's get that gets attached to such kind of movements. And like I said before, I think we, that people do care about other people. It's not like people don't care about other people in other parts of the world. It's just that 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 movement of the internal emotionality is appropriated by Mm -hmm. the use of language that these people put out in brochures and using a child as a poster child Mm -hmm. as a symbol, while there are kids who are younger than her working in the minds who you will never hear from ever.
0: Right. Really good points, I think. Um, Yeah, that's, that's very perceptive. And it, it it uh initiates what became kind of the illness of the 20th century schizophrenia you know capitalism and schizophrenia there is this this cognitive dissonance and there is this compartmentalization in how people think and people have learned to live with with viewpoints that contradict each other but but they somehow psychologically resolve those contradictions for themselves, and I think it's partly based on on, on what Johan was pointing out there. Um, Corey, do you want to?
1: Well, I will just add, um, following up on what Johan is speaking with, I, at this point, five years on after, you know, the quote-unquote discovery at Thunberg, I would, the first year maybe, I, I was watching closely about the sincerity question, but at this point, I would have to question any authentic sincerity on her part, and the main reason is um, no deal for nature, Survival International, but in particular, Stephen Corey, the former CEO of Survival, he recently um, stepped down, he, um, and plus other activists, um, a lot of grassroots activists from Africa, they were very, very clear and articulate and, and over and over again, um, you know, um, basically approaching v- via social media channels, challenging Greta Thunberg, that the Greta, I should call it the Greta Thunberg account, social media accounts on their, um support and and funding a world uh, what's it called WWF World Wildlife Fund one of the most egregious NGOs on the planet and there's no there's it's documented absolutely that they are complicit in um crimes against indigenous peoples tribal peoples are complicit in rapes murders displacement displacement there's no question of this and yet Greta with this massive platform has never taken the opportunity to call them out. If that's me and I believe in the environment and I believe in social justice, I will use my platform to tear them to shreds. I will use my platform to destroy them. And I would never ever have a foundation in my name that would that would actually give money to this organization that, that um, you know, carries out these atrocities. And so I, you know, I sort of have that at the end of this presentation anyway, but there's, yeah, a lot of weird stuff that goes on, why people don't think about that.
0: Well, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think it, it, one of the great things in your presentation, because I was reading it today, I read all of it today, in fact, uh, <clears throat> it, when you look at the CVs of people like Callum Greve, but pick any of them the the other woman whose name escapes me right now their previous work experience was with coca-cola with unilever with johnson and johnson pfizer general dynamics uh the very people that presumably have caused the environmental crisis that the world faces and as you have pointed out repeatedly corey we are to believe that unilever and pfizer and johnson and johnson and general Dynamics, whoever raytheon are now going to repair what they destroyed initially they are not driven by altruism and empathy and concern and this brings up the other point which needs to be mentioned we can expand on it later which is class consciousness class awareness (laughs) because it's so absent in the commentary you hear from people it is so absolutely absent that that you have to when I engage with people I have to try and I lose patience but I try patiently to explain what that means and uh, it it's very difficult but this also speaks to the white privileged West and their point of view and their level of indoctrination, their tacit thinking, their tacit assumptions from which they extrapolate all their ideas and they are colonial, they are imperialists. Um, Hiroyuki?
4: Um, So, yes, I I, I was really uh, uh, excited and um, uh, overwhelmed almost. Um, uh, with the uh, the the presentation i mean i i you know we didn't uh hear the presentation but we had access to the uh, uh powerpoint uh presentation and it's 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 really to me uh the significance is the fact that it really demonstrates the uh the shape of capitalism today um the way uh it it developed from um, um, the time of the industrial revolution, when um, capitalists um, uh, managed workers, they um, um, they shaped their lives so that they, they are optimized to be obedient, uh, efficient workers. And today, uh, the need of the capitalists, to shift trajectory into fourth industrial revolution, they are actively implementing this uh, manipulation and uh, fabrication of the facts and uh, using uh, influencers, uh, using social media using w- whatever they can, uh, whatever the institutions they can put their hands on, they can buy the institutions. So, um, and they are doing this act of um, shaping the consciousness of the people, uh, shaping the body of the people, minds of the people. Um, so it's, it's really, uh, uh, and you can actually see what they're doing and why they are doing according to the, uh, uh, the facts uh, Corey has presented. And it's, it's really, uh, uh, I really think uh, it's a great educational um, material uh, she has. And I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, hopefully she's gonna come up with an article or uh, some kind of uh, thing for that the people could read
1: yeah thanks
0: yeah it's yeah, it, no it's a remarkable compilation of, of of facts it's a great piece johan
3: yeah I was just going thinking about your 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 remark on capitalism and schizophrenia because i I think it's very very astute because i, I schizophrenia i mean it's it's precisely this existential de-anchoring. The, the R.D. Lang, you know, the anti-psychiatrist. Yeah, I was before. just
0: you just popped into my head <laughs> yeah. when you said that. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've quoted him before, and, and I mean, I, I think I've said this before, but his point is that just that these extreme mental states are they're characterized by, by a certain disconnect, by by this ruptured relationship between the, the self and and the, its life world, or or the person, and even aspects of, of his or herself. So, so I think it's it's true that contemporary psychosis, it's very much a manifestation of of economic forces and and their auxiliary ideologies and and the distorted worldviews that surround them. And here where we here's where I think art comes in in a special way because I think it has the potential of of repairing the connection to reality by opening these new avenues of experience and, and perception. I mean, in my view, it's it's almost miraculous what what it can do in certain senses. And I, I was uh, thinking about asking asking your your perspectives on, on you know the, the healing properties of of art in, in certain situations. Well,
0: I, yeah, I, I I don't want to get too far af- afield in that, but it's interesting because I my twin sons are five years old, six years old, uh, uh, and uh they're they've taken to drawing a lot now they love to they were home this week with the flu everybody had the flu and they've been drawing endlessly and children's art is remarkable um and I have two observations one is that both twins love to draw both are very talented but one of them strikes me as the artist in the family uh And the difference is the other twin draws what he sees, he interprets it to some degree and he's very clever. The other one, the one I designate the artist is expressing himself somehow. Hmm. He's drawing what he sees and interpreting it also, but more he is primarily expressing something within him, of his emotional life, his spiritual life, whatever it is, and he cares less about any uh, 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 correctness or or accuracy in terms of the, the, the outside world that he's viewing, that's secondary to him, and It struck me that this is a very key factor in art and creativity in a Mm -hmm. sense. And the other thing that I took away from it this week was there is a freedom of line in children's art. That's always amazing. Other people have remarked on this and it's (laughs) it's remarkable and it gets beaten out of children. Mm. By the time they get to junior high school, it's gone. That freedom of line is gone it has it has been uh uh transformed into something uh of of measured and and Mm. you know categorized and and it it no longer has the anarchy that it has before they enter school um anyway Hiroyuki?
4: yeah that's that's really uh uh I, I totally noticed that as an artist i uh i would struggle in my studio coming up with uh spontaneous energy flow or whatever and uh, kids would do uh that very easily and uh it's very really surprising to see uh uh angle and uh uh the the um um spark spark of uh um, uh, refreshing. Uh, something.
0: And, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's it is. Radical. Yeah, yeah. And it's and hard it, to articulate. I it, right. It, it, yeah, but you it, see it, and you see, if you look at the drawings of children by the time they're thirteen, it's gone. That thing right. we're trying to define is gone. That's
4: yeah. It, I it, think it's
0: the tragedy of it
4: yeah it's really strange it's it sort of like borders with uh like purity of life or something it's it's uh that's it's really, really uh, you know, uh interesting and and the way uh i think that's the fact that those things disappear has to do with the fact that the uh we are um trained and uh, domesticated with the uh, the corporate framework uh imperial framework and um, um that's that's uh that's the theft of our collective power uh we have the power to uh do something as group we could uh raise voices against uh war you know uh work for the peace or whatever but in the uh, in this framework it's always framed. Within this uh, corporate um, ways, and um, and when it manifests as uh, something negative, uh, like mental illness, uh, w- w- you know, you just referred. Uh, when that happens, it's coming from the people, you know, collective mental illness, uh, and it's people's fault you know right. the, the course, people yeah. get to own that but uh people <laughs> can't get to own the uh the greatness of what they what they can do and they are shaped into the momentum for the uh um uh green capitalism or proxy war or whatever you know it's
0: um Abs- no absolutely Varun?
2: yeah i was just going to add to your great comments um about art but that it's i think i'm I'm finding it increasingly that it's impossible to be creatively spontaneous and spontaneously creative in an environment which is continuously stressful and riddled with deadlines Right, So you start learning how to manage deadlines by the time you're already in, I don't know, six, seven years old, because now you've got homework, now you have to manage your time. And that, could get, that kind of gets transferred into managing rent by the month. And then you know certain tasks that your corporation <laughs> will give you. And so it just erases being present with the moment and being creative, like in that, it, there is no place for that anymore.
0: William Burroughs had a great book of interviews called The Job. It was a very influential book for me when I read it. I was quite young. The job he, he's referring to in the title is school. Right. Um, but I want to get back to to Corey's presentation because, yeah. because I think it's really important. This is such a massive marketing campaign. You see it everywhere. My God, you see Greta's... Um, petulant face everywhere and uh uh people it was interesting because on social media there was a a comment today about that that communism fails because people are inherently greedy (laughs) And, and i wanted to explain well no capitalism creates greed uh, it pits people against each other in the most most ruthless way, uh, but people can't, we've talked about this before, people can't imagine a world that is not capitalistic. It's very hard for them. The, their imagination stalls right at that threshold, I think. Um, Anyway, Corey, did you want to? Yeah,
1: that's a good segue into this next slide, which is number seven. It's um, from 2019. It's from a document um, announced at the Global Inclusive Growth Summit, October 21st, 2019, the Imperative 21 Reset Campaign was launched to the public, uh, um, sorry, the month prior. Uh, or sorry that's not right September 13 2020 it was launched the following year so the the front campaign of the business roundtable included coalition partners including the b team Richard Branson's b team and I just found it interesting um the business roundtable was founded in the U.S. in 1972 I've mentioned it before by Alcoa and General, General Motors or General Electric, one or the other. And they played a huge role in the destruction of um, labor. And one year after they were founded in the US, the World Economic Forum was um, founded in Europe as the European Management Forum. And it's in this document that I um, read through, There's it's clear that World Economic Forum is a part of this document. So you've got the two organizations actually working together. And it says our economic system is at a tipping point right so this is all about I mean you heard from Al Gore you hear um all the billionaires you know that was Klaus Schwab there was a real um what would you call it I mean it was very very clear every time they spoke they would speak to the fact he cannot the system has to remain a capitalist system. There's, there can be no diverting from the capitalist system, no socialism, no communism, nothing, absolutely capitalist system. So all you have is a rebranding, calling it stakeholder capitalism. And then that's, of course, you have Christine, Christina, what's her name, Christina Figueres, Christian yeah. Figueres speaking, saying, you know we're gonna grow the pie bigger and then everyone can have a bigger piece of the pie. <laughs> right, and, and and that's you know stakeholder capitalism for you. Um, the next slide, slide A, is all about language and framing, which we talk to all the time, and sort of feels like you know my driving force for my research, holistic lingu- linguistics. Um, it just goes on to explain as um, uh, the SDGs, global goals, or emerging markets. Um, actually, the global goals was an initiative created by Bill Gates. On the United Nations SDGs and remember the UN now is partnered with World Economic Forum, an altruistic term for emerging markets right so all about framing all about language recall that UN partnered with them in in 2019 I already said that sorry I'm being repetitive. World Economic Forum must be understood as the secretariat clearinghouse for 200 of the world's most powerful corporations global finance and the world's most powerful and imperial institutions. Around six trillion a year will need. This is quote around six trillion a year will need to be invested to deliver the SDGs. Most of it in emerging markets, and that's from um, that source is at last climate consensus on the Magic Mountain, February third, twenty twenty, System IQ, and that's um another NGO that people aren't really aware of that is really really big behind the scenes. Um, the Great Reset is uh, actually a project of the Commonwealth. I think I was talking to Harry about this. World Economic Forum should be considered um, the lobby arm and secretariat. The Great Reset is a project of Um, quote unquote King Charles right of Commonwealth which includes 54 states inclusive of the UK, that is um, that actually represents one third of the global population. And then that target demographic 60% of that population is age 29 or under which represents the target demographic and. um, And then I just add the financialization nature project led by the World Economic Forum in partnership with Al Gore who's a World Economic Forum trustee and the World Wildlife Fund which is a weaning business implementation partner is the further displacement and continued genocide of indigenous peoples on tribal peoples and ancestral lands.
0: Yeah, this is, this is, this is critically important it's important material to, to keep presenting to people. When when you engage them on these topics, because again we're talking about uh, NGOs and and foundations and corporations and and governments to some degree that that partner these are the most uh, criminal and and polluting. Uh, uh, institutions in the world, whether it's big pharma or big agra or the defense industry, we are meant to believe because it's all been covered under this green umbrella, we are meant to believe they are suddenly deeply concerned about the plight of humanity and global warming. And uh, and it, if, it, if it weren't so effective and if you didn't see the success that it has with so many people, it would be laughable because it, it, it is just preposterous that somebody puts proudly on their CV that they worked with Unilever, Coca-Cola and Raytheon is sort of jaw dropping. Uh, you would think in a rational universe, they would hide that information. Uh, but you know, I mean, I'm speechless with this stuff at a certain point because I I don't know how to reconcile people's response to this. Now, I always hasten to point out very quickly, I'll talk to Johan here, uh, that as we speak, France is essentially shut down because there's millions of people in the street. There are work stoppages and walkouts in every major government um, institution, private companies, Renault and so forth, all all stopping the police and fire departments in many places have joined the protesters, massive protests against Macron's government, against the, the World Economic Forum. You see signs with people protesting it. No more money to Ukraine, no more NATO wars. No more uh, sending money to the one percent when we are suffering, uh, when prices are just unbearably high for heating and food and and you know the basic materials of existence. So so, and there are protests planned throughout the EU. So it's not as if everybody is fooled, but but. I often think these propaganda campaigns, these marketing campaigns, know that probably the majority of humanity don't accept it, that the majority of humanity see through it, or at least half, Uh, they understand that, but they don't need everybody to believe it for the campaign to be successful. That's the sad reality. If, if 40% of the populace believe it, that's probably enough because they are targeting the educated, white collar affluent bourgeois public and they have more influence and they own more and they have more influence and and they are far more the decision makers than uh, those children in the coal tan mines in Namibia, right? So uh the fact that that it's not uniformly accepted uh, doesn't mitigate its power these these campaigns johan
3: mm, yeah yeah there's much to, to say about the the protests and I would really like to hear your your perspectives on on that issue and and why it's not whether they're not being reported basically at all I was just wanted to I wanted to give you my my point here regarding the, the fiction of the detached observer in relation to Corey's presentation, because I, I think it's, it's how both the problem and the solution within the framework of, of these climate crisis narratives are, are predicated upon precisely this this detached observation and, and penetration of, of the external world or the, the biosphere or of other human beings. So, so it's kind of both in the, in the thesis and the antithesis to speak with with Hegel. Uh, so, so I think that the problem we're, we're being sold here—it gives us this mythical exaggeration of our capacity to control and dominate the world around us. It's a, it's a denial of this incredible vastness of the earth, as you often put it, John. And, and the solution that's being sold to us—it's always this massive social engineering project that that further emphasizes the power of technology and capital, while it reduces your your fellow human being to these. Inert object to, to herd around, and the solution is always also, of course, explicitly the the white man's burden. It's for Western capital and, and innovation and, and uh, any you know that sort of work to save the planet, yeah. imposing that detached domination on the malleable planet and the subject population. So so that was my
0: connection to Boris. Yeah, no, the white savior. I think the green capitalism the Green New Deal, all of the stuff that Corey is cataloging and uh, extrapolating on, and all of it falls under white savior, uh, yeah. uh, this white savior model for, for global dynamics. It, it's unspoken and it's the default setting for so many people in the West that, as you say, Western innovation, Western values are superior. Mm. uh, And somehow, one of the ways to rescue Africa is, Mm. is to impose these superior Western values on people that just haven't caught up with the West yet. I mean, this was the justification for Indian schools in the United States right. 150 years ago. It hasn't changed. This is what I keep coming back to that nothing has changed. Capitalism, there are certain mechanisms, certain structural coercive tendencies in capitalism that have not changed. and and one of the truths of capitalism is that capitalism manufactures poverty. And as Michael yeah. Perenda used to say, we know this is true because most of the world is capitalist and most of the world is poor. Um, Hiroyuki?
4: Yeah, that, that thing that the protest, uh, the the lack of the uh reports uh you know i was talking to my wife and I, I was asking her if she knows anything about it of course she she didn't and uh, um and i think most people really don't and um uh, and the way it's reported if it report if, if it reports are uh, reported is uh, different as well when when we hear For example, we we see something like that in China or Venezuela or Cuba uh, last year, Uh, you know, immediately we hear about regime change, you know, so so on and (laughs) so down.
0: Um, No, well, I I don't mean to interrupt you, but I talked to Max Perry the other day because I mentioned something about going to the New York Times and there was not a single word. In the New York Times about the French protest. I couldn't find a single word. And Max said, well, they did run one small article, uh, very small, that focused on the protest taking a menacing turn.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's clear that you know where they are siding with it's 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 amazing it's so obvious and um uh, and it's it's the uh the white savior mentality that uh makes it makes it okay to say that we need to help them we need to go in and remove that dictator and uh you know that doesn't happen to like France or whatever, you know, it's, uh, it's so the, the imperial mentality is there. The ground for the whole thing to grow is already, you know, uh, in the sphere. So yeah.
0: I, I, yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out. Uh, I will provide this in the links, Pepe Escobar's article on the Putin G meeting. Uh, and reading Western commentary about this was amazing. I saw headlines in Norwegian papers about fear and horror the the potential dastardly effects of a Putin-G relationship. (laughs) Uh, Here is Norway that has invited the United States to build two massive military bases in the pristine North of the country. They have agreed to a legal. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That 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 any crimes committed by U.S. service men and women will not be tried in Norwegian courts. They will they will be handled by the military U.S. military itself. In other words, the U.S. military has impunity from Norwegian law, uh, and this comes. A a week after that horrifying report about birth defects in Iraq from uh, the consequences of war and US occupation, depleted uranium, all the rest of it that accompanies every building of every military base by the US, horrifying, horrifying uh, litany of of, uh, birth defects and health concerns uh, in Iraq. They're also in the same week, the UK has agreed to send depleted uranium to Zelensky and Ukraine, as they are on the precipice of completely, they have nobody left to send out into the meat grinder anymore because everyone's been killed essentially. How, it, 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 and it's frightening because the US is desperate for this to succeed on some level. Maybe they knew it was unwinnable and the success comes just in the profit from from the defense industry. I don't know Uh, if they are truly as delusional as it seems they might be in thinking that this could have been a successful military campaign. And I think that Russia has moved very carefully tread very carefully on tiptoes through this winning phase of that military campaign, because they are worried about the extreme reactions of the United States, the zealots in control of foreign policy in the United States. And, and that worries me as well, of course, uh, because I just don't know how entirely crazy these people are, but, uh, but that's almost an entirely separate topic. I wanted to, kind of continue on with with Corey's piece here a little, if we could, Corey?
1: Yeah, I guess the nuclear waste is a good segue into this slide, because the solutions are not really green. They, ruling classes, corporations, global finance, commonwealth, global institutions, seek to have everything privatized, um, public part. Public-private partnerships, blended finance, etc., commodified nature, children, human bodies, social and cultural cap, "quote unquote" capital, and surveilled. Smart cities rebranded as 15-minute cities over the past three years. Accelerating over the past year, healthcare across the globe is undergoing this very transition. The new global infrastructure is marked as green "quote unquote." Um, yeah it is anything but plan infrastructure of wind turbines solar farms all industrial scale in brackets um quote unquote renewable energy becomes obsolete after 20 years max this end of lifetime is contractual um, upon you know before they even start building it at this time they become waste at scale the entire new quote unquote green infrastructures absolutely dependent on the mining of the oceans. Another massive emerging market SDGs marketed as green and altruistic are in reality, nothing more than emerging markets to keep the global capitalist economic system afloat to secure and expand existing power structures and ruling class interests. The great reset is a war on people in all life. The great reset is the class war of the 21st century.
0: That's <clears throat> great. And exactly right, I think. Um, uh, you know, the the you you only have to look at the behavior of Western governments in terms of these military campaigns, the continued growth of military budgets, defense budgets for Western nations, especially the United States, which is. I, $6 billion a day or something almost incomprehensible. Meanwhile, you know, and I mentioned this last week, the the, the numbers of homeless increase, food insecurity increases, uh, more and more children go to bed hungry in the United States. These statistics are well known. Inequality continues to increase not just in the US, but across the EU as well. These governments, if they were genuinely concerned, if they really felt that climate change was a problem, we would not be having wars. Mm. We would not be having these new emerging markets. We would not be talking about uh, various stakeholder capitalist uh, projects and cooperations with these massive corporations, criminal corporations, uh, if these governments were genuinely concerned, their behavior would very obviously be different than it is. And this seems so strikingly obvious to me that I sometimes just throw up my hands and sink back in despair because I don't know people are like willfully refusing to look at this obvious fact that climate change is bogus it can't possibly be real because nobody in in positions of authority are actually worried about it they're not changing their behavior they haven't curtailed private jet flights they haven't curtailed their consumption of useless products and 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 yet and yet Greta Thunberg and her ridiculous protestations and indignation and scolding of people—I, uh, you know, I don't, you know, she has a great many followers. But of course, the Kardashians have a great many followers too. You know, Wentz Paltra, I think, has seven million followers, and God knows we need to listen to what Gwyneth says about everything. I think so. I, I, sometimes it's. The 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 dissonance in my brain uh, reaches reaches overload, and and uh, this topic is is one of those moments. Um, Johan,
3: yeah, ah, is my is my hand still up?
0: I have to add on this. oh okay no Varun, I, Varun I see Varun's hand is up Varun yeah no I was,
2: I was actually going to quote what Johan was saying before is about the <laughs> observer effect is that in the sense that people have become passive observers of the world while I don't know man like in a couple of weeks you've sent 80 billion dollars to the war in the Ukraine and now you're going to turn individuals in the rest of the world into some kind of stakeholder objects which are going to be exchanged on a blockchain right like it's so screwed up but (laughs) people people are so tied up in the daily living because there is always this stress hanging on Mm -hmm. everybody's head of not losing the life they have right it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or middle class it doesn't matter because everybody has that stress of preserving the standard of life they've built for themselves and you can't get away from that, right like in and i mean so all you can do is watch this shit play out on tv and then just look after your kids or your parents or whatever it is that's in your immediate surrounding you have to shut yourself off because there is Uh, and that's uh, i mean coming back to what what you've been always saying is that about organizing the public right like in the sense that how does the public organize but if the if the pressure is maintained in such a way, it's impossible for people to f- to f- to forget their daily living and then kind of go and help out a neighbor because they're all in that kind of position all the time. It's yeah, incredible. This is, a
0: great, this is a great point. I just want to say one thing before handing it over to Johan. I think this is a a very significant observation, and and it's why. If I, if I posit that 40 to 60% of the populace doesn't believe capitalist propaganda, US imperialist propaganda, if they don't, maybe it doesn't matter now. But then we talk about the people who do believe it and their delusions and, and the fact that one in four Americans takes antidepressants, this acute anxiety that hangs over everybody. Yes, insecurity, sense of loneliness, and and um, unfulfillment. Uh, <clears throat> but the people who are smart enough or open enough to to recognize the fraudulence of these campaigns, they suffer this anxiety too. That's the thing. Uh, seeing through the bullshit does not grant you. Uh, immunity from this the lacerating sense of anxiety and impending doom that we all feel and so there is this is why i, I think the marriage of marx and freud was so important mm. why the frankfurt mm. school of yeah. people saw this as important because yes the material conditions determine most of what goes on and the evolution of of history in a sense but But meanwhile, there is this deformation of the psyche, Mm -hmm. the the erosion of literacy, the loss of literacy, uh, people's attentions, man's inability to concentrate has shrunk. And nobody escapes this, this, this assault. And so you have to start to understand the, the reasons for the mechanisms by which we all suffer these mild forms of insanity, I think, mm-hmm. and, and often succumb to it. I mean, the fact that drug addiction is such a massive problem that, that the pharmaceutical industry prescribes for everything and they completely pathologize normal behavior as well my God, the number of psychiatric drugs fills, you know, hundreds of pages. It's it's extraordinary, and and so on one level, nobody escapes. You you and and you have. I think it's important, and this brings us back to art, to the liberating aspects of art. But we have to investigate what those mechanisms are by which these irrational forces. Uh, uh, work on us. Johan?
3: Uh, yeah, I think we need more more Freud in, in this debate. And, and I think adherence to, to propaganda, I, I think it functions as a coping mechanism in, in this situation. I think it eases uh, anxiety in, in many ways. But, but just to, to give a, a sort of counterpoint to this uh, issue of the detached observation, uh, as you all know, you know, uh, our dog was uh, diagnosed with, uh, with heart failure and, and the, the vet suggested we, we put him down but he's in in pretty good shape so we opted for this conservative treatment but but in all of this it struck me so so powerfully how how this this animal to to has really become a, a part of me in a profound way not, not just as a detached object of my experience that I that I somehow participate in but how i now depend on his own real intentionality how You know, his his strange animal subjectivity is somehow now an aspect of of my very own deepest self. And this to me is is a quite new and and wonderful insight. And I think it has broader political and ontological implications, profound ones. But but also, you know, these things are these are things that basically every other human culture throughout history has been fully aware of and and integrated in itself.
0: Yeah, I, I think this this introduces a number of other topics. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about factory farming and, and just animal cruelty in general, that, that uh, people's consumption of meat, which was once dependent on hunting, mm. became a machine, a death machine and a machine of extreme cruelty. Uh, in which animals were bred that can't even stand upright because because they're too fat or deformed, or, and it doesn't matter. And they have to clean the tumors off the chickens before they sell them, and on and on and on. And the you know the excessive use of antibiotics with with, with various cattle and, and poultry and um, that's that's the allegory of capitalism too, I think. And people would rather not think about where their food comes from, or certainly where their meat comes from. Uh, Supermarkets are designed so that the meat counter is in back, the far rear of the market, because it's still, even though it's packaged in plastic, it's too disturbing if it were in the front of the market because people would have to stand in line looking at it and maybe an aberrant thought about the fact that this was an animal, a sentient animal that was slaughtered to provide my gravy tonight uh, would upset people and they might not buy as much ground you know, beef as they normally would. I mean, these things are interesting and and I have written before about the incredible influence of Taylorism and, and the efficiency model and uh, the, the organization of time and and everything that occurred in the first third of the 20th century and then again after World War II, it, it accelerated as did the advertising industry. Uh, and I think these are topics that are worth remembering when discussing the the new uh emergence of this global warming industry uh that that we're constantly subjected to on a daily basis along with and these these strange these strange projects of distraction it's you know the rising sea levels have not covered Plymouth Rock. It's right where it was 400 years ago. It's just increasingly such bullshit. And, and so obviously, uh, uh, a project of disinformation, I think, or, and maybe people, there are people who are genuinely sincere about it, but I think they're deluded, frankly, through.
2: Yeah, I just want to add, I think anything that is uh, I mean, I think we can safely say that anything that becomes industrialized and mass produced causes harm both ways, manufacture and consumption. And I think that's something that's happening to this quote unquote green movement, which has now reached a proportionally industrialized scale of uh, implementation. And I think Corey mentions something about the tech, which lasts, doesn't last more than 20 years. So the short-sightedness of all of this mass production industrialized processes is quite something to pay attention to, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the irrationality in that is worth pondering. Whatever one thinks about the planet that may or may not be getting warmer, uh, it is clear that the Earth changes, its climate changes over over time. Uh, whatever one concludes, I think it's safe to say that the 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 explanation provided by these movements that Corey is talking about, that explanation is wrong. And uh, uh, I will leave it at that. Um, Corey, did you want to do one more slide? Sure.
1: Yep. Um, okay, so this part sort of builds on those uh, the people you were speaking about earlier, John, um, Kardashians, whoever, Gates, family, billionaires, the people that go to the Davos, those that hoard the wealth and live excessive lifestyles while telling everyone else to skip oh. breakfast for climate change. Um, where did I read that? I read that somewhere to help climate, you can skip breakfast. Anyway. Um, Jevons Paradox and the Pareto Principle. Jevons Paradox warns that as renewables increase, so does consumption. The Pareto Principle um, specifies that 80% of consequences come from 20% of the causes. Asserting an unequal relationship between inputs and outputs. While the 80-20 rule applies to almost every industry, the Pareto Principle is commonly used in business and economics. In the corporate world, the Pareto Principle concept is critical as capitalists can use it to identify which initiatives and actions must be prioritized in order to maximize impact and profit. Um, paradoxically, global capitalists and ruling classes refrain from applying the Pareto principle in relation to global CO2 emissions by their biodiversity collapse and ecological devastation because this would <laughs> point to themselves. Um, the Pareto principle specifies that, quote, 80% of the consequences come from 20% of all the causes asserting an unequal relationship between inputs and outputs. In other words, a small percentage of causes have an outsized effect, unquote. In other words, the focused are focused um, as the actual solution for our multiple crises must be on the 20%, creating 80% of the consequences. In other words, the focus must be on the ruling class itself. Instead, the ruling classes via global institutions, the nonprofit industrial complex, media, et cetera, have reframed the crisis as one caused by quote unquote humanity and overpopulation. For just a moment, contemplate that the richest 1% emit 175 times more than the poorest 10% the 1% being anyone who can get on a plane. Yeah, there is an urgent call for population reduction um, in the global south, particularly um, brown and black bodies in Africa, by those residing in the ivory towers of the West. And then I just yeah. have, a, yeah, sorry, go no, ahead. No,
0: go ahead. No, please go ahead. Okay, so,
1: uh, and I just want to add, um, according to Professor Kevin Anderson, 50% of global greenhouse gas emissions are created by just 1% of the population. Um, and then I have this from an article shared by, I think it was Johan. The Pareto Prince distri- distribution is rather ruthless. The top 20% eventually end up with 80% of the assets, even when everyone starts with the same state. Real problem is what happens within the top 20%. The centralized power holds sway in defense it's pre- Perquisites. Then the bottom 19.9 percent in the top 20 are slowly stripped mined of wealth and power, leaving the vast majority of consequential wealth and political power in a tiny elite at the top. And that was from March 7, 2023. What if there are no solutions? And then I'll hand this one right over to Johan. Me. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I, would, you know, I sort of thought of that while I was reading it. You know, if we applied this to, to you know, our ecological um, crises, we'd be, we're looking, we should be looking at the very people who are, who have destroyed the planet and now we're pretending to save it. No, I
3: think. And I should. wondered
1: if we could apply this in that respect. And then does, uh, does this make sense to you?
3: I, I just have a, a news article to reference, which might illustrate my my perspective here. So, so there's a there's a referendum being held in, in Berlin this this weekend, maybe today, tomorrow, March 26th, uh, on reaching um, you know fossil freedom 15 years earlier than than planned. So so they're gonna gonna make these, these climate goals and turn them into law and the idea is to reduce uh emissions greenhouse gas emissions by 95% in 7 years by 95% compared to, to the, the 1990 level and and this this is this is insane this is physically impossible you can't do that maybe you could kill like every single citizen of berlin but you're not going to be able to to come even close to, to this this uh, in 7 years that's nothing you know that's that's no yeah, time no, whatever it's, and it's being horsed like the this is no this is the only way forward
0: yeah <clears throat> well this is but this is this is i have two comments when and then we'll we're sort of um winding up here i think two comments one is Yes, this is this is of course impossible, and it's meaningless anyway. So, who are these? What do these lawmakers and politicians think exactly? Do they believe this? I guess they must. I don't know, uh, or if it's just seen as a politically uh, uh, expedient position to take. You, you can't be. Uh, uh, targeted if, if you're all for green solutions. Nobody investigates the, the mm. nuts and bolts of those solutions that they, they aren't solutions at all. They're non-solutions to a non-problem. The whole thing is, is this fantasy edifice that is just, I don't know, is a wonder to behold. Uh, The other factor is, I just wanted to mention, because we talked about it offline, the the intractable anti-communism, anti-socialism, and really anti-anarchism, even, anything that's not capitalist in the the general public, but especially communism. Communism elicits these knee-jerk, angry responses from people. And uh, you will hear somebody say, "Oh, he's just a crazy old Maoist. He's just a crazy old Stalinist Lenin, whatever it is." Oh, he loves Fidel. he's just a crazy leftist." Uh, and I always try to give them Michael Parenti's YouTube speech about communism worked for millions of people. Uh, that that this is so indelible in the western imagination it's very very hard to have people people react in very irrational and extreme ways if you suggest communism and then you have the conflation of communism and fascism and this is extraordinarily widespread uh, and there's a number of books that i can point directly to the anthony sutton books and and somebody else is writing them they're usually sort of crypto-anti-semitic as well, uh, because there's a secret cabal of usually Jewish but sometimes Muslim, whatever, uh, secret cabal in a tower somewhere in Luxembourg that is pulling the strings of, you know, what's going on in the world. And, uh, this is this is what has been referred to as structural anti-semitism uh, it, it, it's it's structural prejudice structural bigotry it is it is the need for in a sense the safety valve of resentment and i think resentment is one of the byproducts of capitalism it, it, people are not inherently greedy or resentful, but if you get on the train and you're in a crowded coach compartment and you look up at first class and it's wonderful and air conditioned and there's only a couple of people, of course it pisses you off. It did me as a young boy, I didn't understand this. Uh, Why do they get to ride up there and we have to ride back here? Well, because we live under Kaplan, we live in a class segregated society and there is a ruling class and there is a working class an underclass and, and this lack of understanding is, is the, I think, fundamental um, impediment to, to people making rational political analyses. Uh, you have to have some kind of class awareness I was reading rereading chunks of George Jackson this week, so I wanted to look up a quote, and he was a remarkable thinker, actually, Jackson. I will put some Jackson in the links for this podcast. Uh, but but there is a reason that the most desperately poor and uh, hopeless Chunks of the planet, the the worst, most oppressed people, always respond to Mao and Lenin and Stalin and Fidel and read Marx and understand that this is the path to liberation for them. Of course they do. Okay, that's my final thought. Everybody else here: Yuki, Corey, Johan.
4: Uh, i was just thinking that um uh, uh, what corey was saying about the uh the fact that the uh small minority uh has been causing all the problems and uh, when it comes to the time um people have to pay for it uh it's the other way around that the people who have been exploited and um, uh, um, uh, deprived are going to be the ones who are paying and also um and this, this is um uh really points to the very very basic of capitalism the uh capitalists um um ways of extracting uh power of the uh, uh production by the people with uh talking wages and and the fact that the uh uh this shift to the uh, green capitalism would require uh, a new set of standards, new sets of resources, new sets of everything, Um, um, uh, says that you have to have the resource to uh, do that. And the rest of the people who cannot do um, are going to be deprived. They're going to be. um, uh, uh, they're not gonna be able to uh, produce what they've been producing. And this, so this is um way of uh, reshaping, uh, strengthening the uh, capitalist hierarchy
0: um,
4: at the same time, perpetuating the, uh, the structure as it is. So yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Well, of course, and, and, and then I see Varun's hands. I, I just wanted to make one other comment about, about smart cities. This just popped into my head because it had popped out of my head earlier. It reminds me, I was thinking today that the way in which smart cities, which is a non-starter and won't happen, but anyway, but, but the fact that it's being um, uh, floated as a, as a genuine idea, the way it's described reminds me of company stores in coal mining towns and to a lesser degree the px on military bases that right, right. that that this is yeah. this is a controlled system which will undoubtedly include price gouging and all kinds of things but but that's what it is that i think the ruling elite who are floating this idea look at the world as their factory town, you know, that, that, that we are coal miners to them, uh, who, who are entirely beholden to them for everything, for all all products that we need to live. Baru, final thoughts for everybody.
2: Yeah, just quickly, I think um, what Hiroyuki was saying about social reformation, and now, I mean, it's a very concrete example of the 15-minute cities. I think it would be cool to discuss the dynamics of empathy within capitalism, because what's what's very striking to me is that a lot of the projects that are now being implemented or being proposed in the West a lot of them have already been on for 10 years almost in the global south in many ways and that's for me a very interesting phenomenon in the sense that the uh, the rise of public debate is possible in the west but in the global south people are so resigned to being suppressed that there is no collective action that can that can happen so there is a disconnect of empathy between these supposed different worlds which don't get to meet and that's something that's a gap that is being taken advantage of by the ruling class and i think that is something that maybe we can talk about next time
0: yeah well i think it's i think it's the, the it's that imperialist model again that's the source of every the, these projects are predicated on imperialism, on Western imperialism, on Pax Americana. Um, Corey and Johan, last thoughts?
1: Um, nothing.
0: <laughs> well, I we should do more of the slides next next Yeah, we podcast. will. Yes. We will. Because, because there are many more, and some of the best ones are in the second. Yeah, episode. I know that. I know what
1: we've gone through so far is sort of repetitive and boring to um, our listeners, but for um, people that are sort of just starting, it's all important information. And um, it will be written in full, but it's, you know, that's probably about half done, I would say, but it's very excruciatingly detailed. And so it will be, you know, more difficult. This was sort of a way to make it more open to everyone.
0: Yeah, well, we'll do it next week, And I will link the wrong kind of green blog in the links again, because people really, I do this every time almost, but people need to read that. Um, Johan?
3: Okay, I I can give you a quote. You love my quotes, right? (laughs) I know it is said that a man must find it monotonous to do the 20 things that are done on a farm, whereas, of course, he always finds it uproariously funny and festive to do one thing hour after hour and day after day in a factory. I know that the same people also make exactly the contrary comment and say that it is selfish and avaricious for the peasant to be so intensely interested in his own farm instead of showing, like the proletarians of modern industrialism, a selfless and romantic loyalty to somebody else's factory and an ascetic self-sacrifice in making profits for somebody else. There you go. Excellent.
2: Excellent.
0: And who was that?
3: That was Chesterton again.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right, guys, um, thank you very much. Thanks to Jack Littman, as always. And uh, I hope people will, will. I'm yeah. sorry, what?
2: I was saying people should drop some comments. That yeah, I was just
0: going to say that. I, I yeah. hope people will, will continue to do that um, because uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very uplifting to yeah. us. I, um, okay. Thank you. Uh Cory. Uh hopefully we can do this again next week. We'll try to do one in from now. Alright. Thank you.